Hey everyone, this is Jeff Cantrell from One Minute Bible Commentary, and yesterday was Easter. Because of that, I want to take longer than one minute to describe places in Genesis that foreshadow the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, to some, it may seem like I'm cherry-picking certain parts of the Old Testament or the book of Genesis and saying, hey, this points to Jesus. And in a way, you would be right. But in a very broad sense, that's not necessarily the case. This isn't reading the Bible backwards or shoving Christ into places where he doesn't belong. If you read the Bible as a cold historical document, which doesn't have life due to the Holy Spirit, then you can only look at it through one lens, which is as a historic document. And I believe that if you look at it as a historic document, you will come to the conclusion, hopefully, if you do thorough reading and investigation, that Jesus is the Messiah and that the people believed that a Messiah would come, that Messiah was Jesus, that Messiah died, was resurrected, ascended into heaven, and is coming again. And you can do that by reading the Bible as just a historic document. But I also believe that there's more to the Bible than that. And as a historian, I have no problem reading the Bible as a historic document. But as a Christian, I believe that there's more to the story. And that even though the people who were writing the Bible didn't know who the Messiah would be, they had a pretty good sense by the Holy Spirit what the Messiah would do, and it made its way into the text. And we see throughout Genesis these places where heaven and earth combined and we get a sense of what the Messiah will have to do, which is suffer and die. And so, as we read this portion of Scripture and as we listen to um the instances of Christ. This is not a not, not an exhaustive list, but it is a list that is important to look at because I believe that these writers were foreshadowing what would happen with the Messiah when he came. And so as we listen to or as you listen to this podcast, Please take a moment to reflect on the idea that by the Holy Spirit, these people were writing and God was revealing to them slowly what Messiah, Jesus, would have to do for them and to forgive them of them, their sin and to restore the earth to its proper place, which is to be like the Garden of Eden, where man and God are not separate, where heaven and earth are not separate, and we are partners with God as He reigns as King over us. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy this longer version of One Minute Bible Commentary today. Happy Easter!
Today's episode is going to be an in-depth look at Christ in the book of Genesis. Now, I'm not going into every single instance of what scholars call Christophany, which is Jesus making actual appearances uh, in the Old Testament. I will leave that exhaustive list to scholars. But what this is, is a broad look at the book of Genesis. I will be reading through my notes and just kind of freewheeling and talking about how Jesus can be seen at different parts of Genesis. You'll notice that the Old Testament is constantly foreshadowing the New Testament, and then the New Testament is constantly making callbacks to the Old Testament because they be- the, the writers of the New Testament believe that Jesus was a fulfillment of the Old Testament. So there's this tightly woven uh, string of concepts pointing both forward and back as you read the Bible. And that's very interesting, and I could talk more about that, but I will just let you know that as we go through this, if you're noticing that places in the New Testament are seeming to point back to the Old Testament, then you're absolutely right. And if you're reading the Old Testament and you're seeing foreshadowing of Messiah Jesus, then you're absolutely right. And so... We'll just jump right into it. The third day is a time of new growth, first fruits. Christ is called the first fruits of those who are asleep in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. So we see that the fruit trees are being created and all this life created on, uh, or plant life created on the third day. That's kind of like Jesus being the first fruits after his resurrection on the third day. So I don't think it's a mistake that on the third day, fruit trees are created and Jesus is called the first fruits of creation uh, or of those who are asleep. So this idea of first fruits, we see that Jesus is connected to Yahweh in this idea of resurrection, which can be represented on the third day of creation. Man is the image of God, and so here we have a partnership with man and God where God and man are constantly in communion with one another, and they're just talking and making the world what it was supposed to be with man tending the garden and God ruling over creation and partnering with man, and all of this points to the idea that Jesus was fully human and fully God, where there is a human who is constantly in communication with God, ruling over the earth and setting things in order. And this also points to Jesus. We see this motif of life rest life in Genesis where there is seemingly one story about how God created Adam and Eve and then it seems to zoom in to a more detailed look uh, of how God created Adam and Eve and it presents a pattern of life rest life. This is kind of like the resurrection of Jesus Christ where he lived He died, and then he had new life in his resurrection. Um, That's also the Christian life. We have life, we die to our sins, and then we have new life in Christ. So that can be seen in the pattern 
of that life rest life motif. Humans are in the garden and humans sin between two trees. So there's a human who is in communication with God and they seemingly separate themselves from God and then they take on the whole sins of the world in themselves, Adam and Eve, between these two trees. This is an overt look at how Jesus, the man God, was the man who was completely in communion with God, was hung between between two other crosses. And so we can see here uh, a foreshadowing of a human taking on the sins of the world between two trees, between two uh, what would essentially foreshadow the crosses of the thieves um, which Jesus was hung between. So that's, that's, it seems to be pointing in that direction. Adam, the image of God, is awake. He falls asleep. God puts him into a deep sleep. And then he wakes up. And then he marries Eve. There's this big marriage ceremony where Adam and Eve meet for the first time. And this beautiful story also seems to point to the resurrection where the man God, Jesus, is awake. He falls asleep in his death and then is raised to life where he is married to the church um, in a way. So we see that Jesus is the head of the church and this resurrection is almost like a marriage ceremony for the church and then of course we have the uh, book of Revelation which points to that. So Adam being the image of God, he's awake, he falls asleep and then he wakes up again and he's married. Uh, this is basically the story of the entire Bible summed up in, in one motif. Genesis 3 then promises Jesus will be crucified. It also kind of points to the temptation of Christ. So Genesis 3 is this promise of a Messiah who will come and who will defeat the accuser, defeat that serpent once and for all. And so we see that in Genesis chapter 3. Now, Enoch is called a man who walks with God. He's taken up to be with God. This is sort of like the ascension of Christ. We can see how a man who is so closely connected with God is ascended into heaven to be with him. And this is kind of like what's happening with Christ. So we can kind of see a foreshadowing of the ascension here in the story of Enoch. The flood is another death, resurrection, and purification idea. So all of the evil on the earth dies, the world is resurrected, and it's purified by God through this water. So this is kind of like Christ's death and resurrection for our sins. Now, the ark is also a, a, a type of cry, uh, sorry, a type of cross where 
this you know the suffering of Noah occurs the suffering of Noah is equivalent to the suffering of Christ the ark is kind of like a tomb which is closed so it could be a cross it could be a tomb all of these ideas are seeming to like be activated in the mind of the reader who is steeped in the New Testament as they read the Old Testament so Noah is one man who is obedient. He finds favor with God. This is also seeming to point to Christ's obedience. So just as Noah was one man who was obedient to God in the face of adversity when no one else was trying to do what God wanted, Noah is that man in the Old Testament and Christ is that man in the New Testament. So... Sacrifice is instituted, and the lifeblood also points to Christ. Christ is, of course, a sacrifice for our sins. His blood cleanses us from sin. It covers our sin. And so this idea of lifeblood can be seen in Jesus and in the New Testament. So then we see the idea of the cup of wine that Noah drinks the the is shameful it causes shame to Noah it causes him to sin it's suffering so this idea of a cup meaning sin shame and suffering will be continued throughout the entire bible so that's important to remember and Jesus is actually asking God to take the cup from him before he goes to the cross. Um, this is basically a continuous uh, theme throughout the entire Bible, the cup of shame, suffering, and sin. And Jesus finally drinks that cup. Um, and that's when he takes on our sins on the cross. So God came down to earth, and he would... Uh, he would not. He saw the Tower of Babel, and he sh he takes the languages and he mixes them all up, and everyone speaks a different language. So this is an idea of how man is trying to build this society up to heaven uh, under their own power, and this kind of points uh, to the city of God coming down from heaven in Revelation with Jesus as King. We are not to build up to heaven. Heaven will come down to earth with Christ as king. And that is very important to remember. And that is a big, um, that's a big deal in the New Testament. Because we are going to see Christ reigning as king. Not in what we put together and build on this earth. But in that he is going to bring heaven down to earth to be with us forever. And so this Tower of Babel... Uh, seems to point to that. Now, all the people of the earth are being blessed through Abraham. This points to Christ's inclusion of the Gentiles into the covenant. Abraham is told that he will bless the entire earth, all the nations. So, Jesus is a fulfillment of that, in that he includes the Gentiles into the plan of God. 
the fire pot passing through the sacrifice of Abraham's, which we discussed in an episode of One Minute Bible Commentary. Uh, that's God's covenant and sacrifice. He will take total responsibility for its fulfillment if we fail and don't uphold our end, which we don't. So Jesus is that burning fire pot. He is the fulfillment of that sacrifice. Because we could not hold up our end of the bargain, God did. And he did it through Jesus Christ. Now, we've talked about that a little bit on the show and how sacrifices are a situation where two people would cut apart an animal and, and drag the, the animal in half and the blood would be uh, on the ground between the two parts of the animal and they'd pass through and say, um, let, may we be like this animal if we don't fulfill our end of the bargain. And God puts Abraham to sleep, does not allow him to walk through that animal, and he himself passes through the animal showing that he will not only fulfill our end of the bargain, he will fulfill his end of the bargain as well. And he's going to do it through death. So that's a big part of how we can see Jesus in the Old Testament. So, Abraham rescues Lot after he attacks the camp at night. This is kind of like Christ coming to reclaim his people unexpectedly in the Messiah Jesus. So, what's happening here is that Abraham goes and rescues Lot from those who took him captive. Just as Jesus came when least expected. There was no one who, who thought the Messiah would be a person like Jesus, and he just shows up. This is also going into the New Testament idea that Christ will come like a thief in the night. Just as Abraham went to reclaim Lot, his family member, from the kings, so and he did it completely at night with without them being aware, Jesus will come and rescue us when we are least expecting it. As he came the first time when we least expected it. Melchizedek, which we also talked about in One Minute Bible Commentary, is a priest coming to Abraham with bread and wine. This is an, seems to be pointing and foreshadowing the fact that Jesus it calls the resurrection, the breaking of his body, this is like the Lord's Supper. Jesus can be seen in this portion because Melchizedek is coming to Abraham. He's a, he's a priest of God Most High, and he's coming to Abraham with bread and wine, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so we see here this body and blood motif beginning in Melchizedek, a priest of the Most High God, giving to Abraham bread and wine. Jesus gave us bread and wine, which was his body and his blood, upon his death on the cross. So, then we see the pregnancy of Sarah, and this is a big deal because we see the idea of, of barren women becoming pregnant uh, a lot 
in the Old Testament. This points to also the virgin birth, but it also points to the resurrection. Now, what's very interesting about this is that Sarah is pregnant after she was completely barren. This is life from death. No one thought that she could get pregnant, and here life appears in her. This is the resurrection. Sac uh, so sacrifice, or the sacrifice of Isaac, is like Jesus' crucifixion. Isaac is replaced by a ram, an innocent, uh, an innocent little ram. So there is no scapegoat in this instant. Now there is a scapegoat in sacrifices. You would think, "Wow, this is this is almost exactly what needs to happen in a sacrifice." But there's no scapegoat. If you're reading it and you're really focused on what's going on in the Old Testament, you'll you'll realize this. This implies that the scapegoat is Isaac. The scapegoat is forgiven along with Abraham. Isaac may have been willing because he wasn't a child. This links the event more closely with Christ. So Isaac gets up and walks away. The lamb is slain or the ram is slain. So we see here that Isaac is the one who carries away sins, but he's forgiven and so is Abraham. So this whole idea of there's not a scapegoat points to the fact that this sacrifice covered everything. Just like Jesus' sacrifice covers everything. And the fact that Isaac may have been willing, this sort of connects to Christ even more. We're also going to see that in Genesis chapter 26, uh, this points to the ministry of Christ as Isaac's wells are being stopped up by the people in the promised land, just as Christ was disregarded by both Jew and Gentile. But he ends up in peace uh, with all of them. So the idea that all these wells that Abraham, uh, or sorry, excuse me, that Isaac has been digging are being stopped up seems to be foreshadowing the fact that Jesus is going to be uh, completely disregarded by both Jew and Gentile in his ministry. However, at the end of this story, Isaac makes a peace covenant with the people of the land, just as Christ makes a peace uh, with all the nations in his death and resurrection. The well... Um, the well story ends with a mill of peace, and so that's how that kind of links everything together. And the idea of a mill seems to be an inauguration of the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus' Last Supper is a kind of callback to this idea that all the nations are coming to be at peace, and when they are at peace, it usually comes down to some sort of meal. There's a sacrifice, and then there's a meal together. And we see in the Old Testament that almost every time uh, that there is a peace between people, they will sacrifice, 
and they will eat a meal together. Jesus was sacrificed. He ate a meal with the people. He was sacrificed and he said he will eat another meal with us when he comes and brings his kingdom. So this is a way that Christ can be seen in the book of Genesis. There are also many times when the motif of the older serving the younger comes up. Old, the older serving the younger is a big deal in the New Testament. And there are plenty instances where that will come up. Um, and I, I can't be certain uh, where I was going with that particular note, but I do know that this is something that uh, should be watched. And if uh, so, I will. Uh, if if I can remember what that note was about, I will put that at the end of the podcast. But for now, we'll just know that the major theme is the older serving the younger. Um, Jacob rolling the stone from the well when he sees his beloved Rachel is a meta, uh, is kind of like Jesus rolling away the stone or the stone being rolled away from the tomb of Christ. A well, of course, is holds water, and water is a metaphor for life. And so, when the tomb was opened, life poured out. Just as when Jacob rolled away the stone from the well in his love for Rachel, she was able to get water, which is life for her flocks. So that seems to point to the power of God's love rolling the stone away from the tomb of Jesus. So the fact that Jacob is put through the ringer and constantly done wrong while he continues to love Rachel is like Jesus long suffering to the people he is around during his time on earth so Jesus puts up with a lot from the people he is teaching because he loves them and he knows that they need him this is very important so we see here that Jacob puts up with a lot for the love of Rachel, just as Jesus put up with a lot for the love of his people. Jacob is going to meet Esau, and this is like Jesus going to the cross. This totally rocks Jacob's world as he goes to meet his brother. This story ends in peace with all the parties involved, and it also foreshadows that Jesus' nail-scarred hands and spear-scarred side because Jacob suffers injuries in this moment leading up to the change in his person and the change in his name. And so his encounter with God leaves him forever scarred and forever wounded. And that is pointing to Jesus. So Jesus headed towards the cross is fearful just as Jacob is fearful Jesus going to the cross changes his body forever because he bears the mark of our sins in his hands 
and in his side. And so these things seem to point to Jesus in Genesis as well. Joseph being sold into slavery by his family is like him being rejected by, like Jesus being rejected by the tribes of Israel. His journey to prison is like his rejection from the Gentiles or his rejection by the Gentiles. Uh, and the whole Joseph story is a type of of med, a type or metaphor for the ministry life death and resurrection and the inauguration of God or the inauguration of Jesus Christ as king of the world so we cap Genesis off with this person who is both Hebrew and Gentile who is both uh, both connected deeply with God and is a man and he sits on a throne over all the nations and he saves the entire world during a time of famine just as Jesus Christ will be king of the world and he will reign over us and we will sustain ourselves off of what he gives us, the bread of life. And so that's the capstone of Genesis, Christ as king, Joseph as king. And so these things are all in there for us to see. To some it may be cherry picking. To some it may be reading the Bible backwards. But to others it is the Holy Spirit guiding the pen of those who wrote this story whether it was a group or single in, or, or individual people, whether it was redactors, it doesn't matter. What we have here is that there are overt parts of the story that point to who the Messiah is and what he would do and what he would become. Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the bread of life, the wine, the blood poured out for us, the one who bears the cup of our sin and our shame. He is the one who is king over the world. Jesus is God in human form. Jesus is the man and God who will rule over all of creation. We see his life, his death, his resurrection, all held in the pages of Genesis. And I hope that as you listen to this podcast, I hope that there was something in it that spoke to you. I also hope that this longer episode didn't bore you to death. And I hope that my broken and piecemealed words can land somewhere and that you know that the story of Genesis is a story of a man who is, has the power of God becoming king over the entire world and setting the world right to the way it was in the beginning. This is the story of Christ. Christ bears the cup of our sin, our shame, dies for us, is resurrected to life for us, and reigns over all of creation as king. And I hope that you see that now more clearly. 
and I hope that you have had a wonderful Easter. I will be praying for every one of you who are listening. I love you. God loves you. This is One Minute Bible Commentary, and I'm your host, Jeff Cantrell. I hope you have a really great Easter, and I hope that you can think about these things as you go throughout your day. Thank you.